0: Welcome to the MIT Horizon Podcast. This podcast features the latest developments on emerging technologies from MIT and beyond. My name is Bobby Carlton, and I'll be your host for today's show. Today, we're going to be discussing security and privacy with Gerhard Eschelbeck. After 25 years in the cybersecurity industry, Gerhard recently retired from Google where he was Vice President, Security and Privacy Engineering. Gerhard, it's such an honor. Welcome to the MIT Horizon podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me today. I'm looking forward for our discussion.
0: Me too. So let's get started by learning a little more about you. How did you get started in the industry and what personally drew you to cybersecurity when you started?
1: Well, I joined this space about uh, 25 years ago, and I would love to tell you a story that this was all meticulously planned out and uh uh, over the years to come, but in reality um, it really happened uh as a way of uh, seeing kind of the the first uh, security incidents and recognizing those as real big challenges ahead and I was always curious to learn about those security incidents in the early days and uh, spent quite a time uh, understanding the first generations of computer viruses and that 's how I really became a pioneer in this uh, in this space.
0: Wow, that sounds exciting. What's it like to be responsible for security at a company like Google with such a global reach?
1: well think think of google as a, as a big startup uh, company, and uh, a big focus of all the teams and all the organizations in Google is on innovation, and the security team was no different. Uh, we were continuously looking at uh, improving our defense mechanisms. we were continuously looking at helping protecting our internal users as well as our external users from cyber attacks. And so we were continuously pushed uh, to innovation and looking at uh, uh, stretching the boundaries of what's possible from a detection and defense uh, perspective. And so that's really what uh, I think uh, Google looks from uh, the inside. But really, there's, of course, a a lot of uh, uh, work and specific effort went into uh, making sure that uh, we had no Uh, attackers uh, being able to successfully target the Google infrastructure. And of course, user data was always super critical uh, and is super critical to Google uh, to protect it as well.
0: So you recently left Google. What are you doing now?
1: Well, I decided that uh, this is my time and my opportunity now to give back uh, to so many people that uh, have uh, given me over those past 25 years. I had some great mentors and I want to be a mentor over the next years to Uh, startup companies, to founders, to entrepreneurs, especially in the security space. And um, I'm working also on a number of uh, boards uh, for companies to really help some of those um, early stage companies to grow, expand, and uh, build out their technologies to help making the world a better place and a safer place to be.
0: So security breaches aren't new. I mean, we've been hearing about them for years. How have these threats changed over time?
1: Well, it's quite uh, it's quite fascinating, actually, to look back uh, when I uh, think about the first generations of computer viruses. It was really mostly about curiosity. Uh, people were looking at how can we develop uh, some program that automatically replicates. Uh, it was really purely interest, intellectual curiosity. And then it didn't take very long until those early prototypes of computer viruses were used really to... Uh, start uh, becoming malicious, um, and were used to uh, for financial gain in particular. So that really was kind of the second generation of uh, of computer viruses. And nowadays, uh, these days, we are really primarily uh, concerned about nation state activities, very sophisticated, uh, well funded actors that using malware and viruses to. Uh, essentially accomplish their goals as well.
0: So what types of things are we seeing with these newest threats? Are we prepared to handle them today?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I think over the years, the defense mechanisms and, and the abilities to protect ourselves from uh, the threat landscape has uh, significantly improved. Uh, at the same time, the attackers are continuously uh, investing and building out more and more uh, capable uh, attacks. So this is a constant uh, chess of game, if you think about, uh, that we are uh, working on here. And I think today, uh, my biggest concern are really around uh, some of the hardware-based attacks. In in the past, we were primarily dealing with uh, software-based uh, attacks. So that means they can be relatively easy being patched uh, by updating software like the operating systems or applications. But nowadays, we are dealing also with hardware-based attacks, which are a lot harder and more difficult to defend upon. So certainly, I think while we are having the overhand at the moment, I think this may not be always the case, and it's a a continuous quest uh, for improving our capabilities to defend.
0: Now, you described the uh, um, given and uh, get between hackers and defenders as a chess game. I've also heard it referred to, as an arms race between attackers and defenders, uh, even that systems that are offline have been hacked. Could there ever be an unbreakable or an unhackable computer?
1: Well, that's a, that's a great uh, idea, and I think in theory it has been attempted uh, numerous times before. I think there's definitely a number of uh, uh, initiatives on the way to build the unhackable system. So far, unfortunately, it hasn't been uh, um, proceeded or or delivered yet, Uh, but I'm optimistic uh, as we are thinking about the next generation of computing. I think it's really critical to build security into the platform, like cloud computing, for example, uh, is a great opportunity to really build uh, security defense mechanisms uh, and security capabilities right into the platform rather than adding it onto the platform, which is really why we are dealing with a lot of the issues that we're having today. I mean, now even my coffee
0: pot is connected. Uh, security issues have the potential to disrupt really every aspect of our daily lives. We have to worry about security in our Internet of Things devices, our cars, our medical systems. What should we be thinking about uh, as
1: consumers of this technology? Yeah, I've actually done some uh, some research around the most visible and successful computer attacks over the past uh, four or five years. If you think about, we're reading about in the news pretty much every day about some incident, uh, a big one, a small one, a private company, a government, um, some institution. It really is a very broad and wide uh, set of uh, targets that we are seeing. But if you boil it down to what are some of the primary reasons why those organizations are being targeted or being successfully compromised by an attacker, it really comes down to two uh, primary reasons that I found. And the two primary reasons are related to, first of all, somewhere in an organization a patch is missing on a device. This could be a server, this could be a workstation, this could be a computer, this could be a mobile device uh, that belongs to to an organization. And if that device is not always up to date with latest security patches, it could become target and it could become a risk factor. Attackers know that, they take advantage of that, and they look specifically for devices that are not necessarily patched with the latest security patches. So clearly, that is one of the opportunities for individuals, for organizations, for businesses, for governments, to make sure that they always uh, take a close look at their devices and have always the latest patches, especially security patches installed be it on the operating systems, on the applications, and whatnot. The second uh, reasons I found in my research was related to uh, passwords. And if you think about passwords, are pretty much a very outdated uh, concept today. It's very difficult uh, to manage those many passwords that we need to memorize. Uh, I cannot memorize hundreds of passwords, And we're always telling people use long passwords and use different passwords on every system. So it almost becomes impossible to memorize all those different passwords. So people write the passwords down and put it on a sticky note somewhere under the keyboard. And of course, that doesn't help. Uh, (laughs) uh, I think we really need to think about how we can improve uh, from the current password situation into a a model that allows a more uh, robust defense. And in this case in particular, Technology has been evolved as well to help us with what's called a two-factor authentication. And it's a a very um, well-known, well-understood technology today to really help us uh, augmenting the password with a second factor, like a physical factor. Uh, Compare it with the key that we're using to start our cars or open our cars. What you get is a second key for your computer. And then in in combination with the password, you really have a very powerful uh, authentication mechanism to your computer, and you're not running risk that a phishing attack would steal your password from you and take advantage of that password. So really, it's two things um, that I found in my researches around the missing patches and the fact that passwords are no longer uh, viable defense mechanisms or passwords alone are no longer viable as a defense. And really, people need to start thinking about how they can move towards a two-factor authentication. So your discussion
0: about passwords sounds a bit about uh, related to the human element in cybersecurity. Although a lot of the attacks and defenses may be automated, how do other human elements and basic human psychology come into play in your work?
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, Security is, in fact, a very asymmetric uh, uh, situation. What we're having is we're having one attacker... Uh, that it just takes uh, the attacker to target one particular system on your environment from the many hundreds that you may have in your in your uh, i t environment, and especially the attacker uh, will find the weakest link of this chain and what really what's needed there is really to uh, see how we can uh, find this weakest spot, this weakest link, and as I was mentioning before, it's about passwords. It's about missing patches. Um, and when we go back to the password uh, challenge, what's happening here is uh, attackers know that uh, employees are clicking on links. Uh, and it's very difficult to continue train and improve the ability for an organization to not click, click on those malicious links that they are receiving through an email Uh, It's always about the 10% of people that always click on that link, no matter how much training you do. It's just very difficult for the human eye to recognize such a cyber attack. And so I think the uh, defense mechanism to just purely rely on humans uh, not clicking on the link is certainly not uh, uh, viable. And therefore, as I was saying before, the two-factor authentication really is uh, helping us uh, to protect from those types of attacks. So yes, security is a very... Asymmetric challenge that uh, companies are facing, and it's all about kind of the the basic foundational security technologies that people putting in place, like two factor authentication, as well as the patch process.
0: I recently read that Google stops more than a hundred million phishing attacks a day going into email. Just sounds like an astronomical number, and if ten, per, if uh, one in ten of my employees is going to be clicking on one of those links. That's going to be quite a a large number. So do you have suggestions on how we can raise awareness of security threats, uh, especially for those connected devices and the medical devices and the vehicle systems?
1: Yeah, it indeed is a a big numbers game. And uh, a lot of it, uh, fortunately, is uh, possible to to defend automatically today. So there's only very few that really need uh, human eyes, uh, especially some of the more newer types of attacks need uh, the human eye and the human brain. Uh, The rest is pretty much automated today and that's really the noise that you see on the internet, uh, in the background of the internet. I think in terms of uh, uh, defense mechanisms, uh, we we do have to really provide this level of automation uh, to our employees and to our staff uh, so that they don't have to constantly think about and worry about uh, do I click on this link or do I not click on this link? It really needs to be uh, automated Uh, in a way where um, employees don't have to think about it. And especially as IoT gives us a real opportunity now to redesign and rewire devices. A lot of the IoT devices are being created now and are being born these days. It's a great opportunity to really build uh, security right into those systems uh, rather than adding them on later. And uh, in my mind, I think IoT is also a fantastic opportunity uh, where. Uh, we can provide some minimum standards uh, for security technologies that have to be built in. And hopefully, uh, this could even yield to some, some regulation, possibly, about some of those devices uh, coming onto the market uh, if they are not uh, satisfying those minimum security requirements like updating, uh, authentication, encryption, various other security technologies Need to be built into those IoT devices, in my mind, as a as a matter of practice, uh, before they should be brought to market.
0: So, if we're continuing kind of that train of thought in terms of the automation, you know, maybe we can turn our attention to machine learning and artificial intelligence. What are the applications and the limitations of machine learning and AI in cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, uh, certainly, I think uh, machine learning. Uh, and artificial intelligence are, are huge uh, uh, buzzwords. But at the same time, it's two very fundamental capabilities to really manage the huge volume of data that we are seeing in the security space. One of the big challenges that uh, many organizations are facing is, is the overflow and this huge volume of security-related data. So finding that needle in that big haystack uh, has been a huge challenge over the years, and uh recent advancements in both uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning have really helped to manage the volume this volume of data and really identify some of the attacks uh in a very sophisticated way and uh i'm a huge fan of uh, uh responsible use for for those technologies for both for artificial intelligence and, and machine learning and have over the past years uh used it, used it successfully to really improve uh, defense mechanisms and improve security for both corporations as well as governments.
0: Hmm. Um, I know you've been working with uh, some startups you mentioned earlier. You've said some cybersecurity companies are now using new business models. What are these models and why is this happening?
1: Right, I see, I see cloud as, as one of the uh, probably most promising computing platforms that we have ever dealt with. And especially because it has some of the uh, the benefits of, of economy of scale, uh, but also at the same time, it really improves the security posture significantly because it's really no longer um, the responsibility of each and every individually, but really the centralized uh, ability to provide a computing platform allows also to build security right into. So, in my mind, the cloud, the change, and the shift towards the cloud computing architecture and cloud computing model will really improve the security posture. In a very significant way. Uh, but I also think uh, that not only the fact that we have been improving the computing platform, I think also the technology uh, to build security right into. Uh, has improved significantly as well.
0: It seems like there's a new industry buzzword born every day. I've learned a couple of new ones recently. How about banking Trojans? What is that?
1: Yeah, Trojans are in particularly used, or Trojan horses are in particularly used, as an attack mechanism. So a, a malicious attacker will use a Trojan to invade your computer or try to uh, invade your computer. And banking Trojans in particular. Uh, have been optimized for uh, use to steal your banking credentials. Um, uh, all of us are using online banking applications uh, through the web portals, through the mobile devices. And wouldn't it be uh, interesting to an attacker to get access to your bank account? And that's really where banking trojans are used, uh, to uh, steal the credentials uh, for your online uh, banking systems, and then obviously allow access to your banking system uh, from their computers. That's really what uh, banking trojans have been uh, used and defended for.
0: Gotcha. Probably one of the more uh, uh, applicable to everyone conversations there. Very much um, indeed. <laughs> so I know you are also responsible for privacy at Google. Privacy laws around the world differ tremendously, as do obviously cultural norms and expectations of privacy. I'd love to hear how working on privacy at a global level has shaped your own views. Uh,
1: yes, indeed. Uh, certainly, I think uh, privacy has been on the forefront uh, in the past three, four, or five years. Uh, as I do think uh, security has always been a, a key pillar of uh, organizations, I think privacy is just coming to mind with the bigger amount of data that we as individuals, as humans, are. Uh, willing to share online, Uh, privacy has really become a critical uh, component of uh, every organization's uh, IT infrastructure. And I do think uh, some of the more recent uh, introduced uh, regulations and laws, especially coming out of Europe with uh, uh, the GDPR uh, as one of the main pillars in Europe where European uh, governments got together and built those requirements towards companies who are collecting data. I am a very big uh, supporter of those uh, regulations. I think it's, uh, it's very powerful for the individual uh, to protect their individual data. And I think they will fundamentally uh, allow uh, individuals to take on ownership back of their data and um, do whatever they feel is, is uh, uh, necessary to protect the data as well. So I think uh, privacy is a critical uh, component uh, for everybody's organization. And I do think at the same time, uh, some of those regulations that are being built uh, coming out of Europe uh, and will be implemented in the US as well, uh, but uh, are very critical to... um, provide better defense mechanisms for users' data.
0: So what are some of the big trends you'll be watching for in the future for cybersecurity and privacy?
1: So one of the things I, I certainly continue to uh, to worry about is, is less on the technology side nor on the attacker side, but it's the people side. Um, I, I do think uh, uh, we are in a fundamental shortage of uh, cybersecurity talent, uh, and there will be a need for more in the years to come. It's not gonna be less. I think there's gonna be more people needed. And so I really worry about uh, how do we build uh, that pipeline of candidates, that pipeline of staff, that that pipeline of engineers, that we really need uh, in the years to come uh, to stay ahead and to stay on top of the defenses. And in my mind, that really starts, not necessarily at the university level, but it starts even earlier. It starts, in my mind, at the high school level, where we need to get kids excited about uh, uh, the the profession and get them excited about the space as well, uh, so that they are considering what I think is one of the coolest spaces in the planet.
0: Um, Maybe you can also share with us some tips and tricks for practitioners in the cybersecurity arena?
1: Yes, of course. As I was uh, alluding to earlier, I think um, if you can only do two things uh, that... uh, are possible, I would recommend, highly recommend to uh, make sure that all your systems are always up to date. Um, Apply patches. That means patches in the operating systems, patches in the applications. Most of those today uh, allow automated updating uh, capabilities. So you can turn on the auto-update mechanisms in your operating system. You can turn on the auto-update mechanism in your applications. And that keeps that takes care of your system and always keeps it up to date, because that really is one of the primary reasons why companies get compromised, individuals get compromised, and then the second one that I always recommend uh, folks to think about is around how do you uh, defend your passwords? You will have to use many passwords, and um, storing those passwords safely uh, in a password safe uh, is a very practical. Easy to do and really good hygiene exercise. And the second one is if you want to go an extra step here, augment your passwords with a two factor token, meaning a hardware, a small piece of hardware like the key that we were talking about to the car. Uh, that two factor token will protect and help protect your logins uh, from the phishing attack or from the Trojan or whatever, uh, so that it cannot steal, be stolen away. From you. And those are two things that I really think make a huge difference. When I did my studies, I found that about 80% of the successful cyber attacks that are known today and publicly published uh, could have been prevented by taking away those two things.
0: Wow, 80%. That's uh, impressive. So uh, let's just take one uh, step back for a minute there. One of the things you mentioned was getting kids excited about cybersecurity as a career. Um, Are there things that uh, you can think back and say, okay, that was part of what got me excited about it? Or maybe some ideas that you have to share about getting kids excited?
1: Yeah, one of the um, uh, events that I always really appreciated in the early days, and I think it's equal today, is uh, what's called the capture the flag uh, event. So it's really Kind of simulated hacking attacks or hacking events, where you're really trying to, um, uh, in a in a protected environment, in a safe environment, where you have a system that's uh, in front of you uh, that um, has some hidden secrets, and uh, your goal and your intention is to find those hidden secrets and to essentially um, uh, use your way of thinking and your ideas of how you could take advantage of some of the weaknesses on that computer, learn about those weaknesses and, um, and capture that flag that's hidden in that computer somewhere. And it's a very competitive game. Uh, you can play this as uh, as an individual, as a group, as multiple groups. Uh, and it's a really very nice and, and competitive way also to learn about computer security while at the same time having fun.
0: Great, that sounds fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us today. like to, you can refer to the podcast notes where you'll find a summary of our conversation with Gerhard. And the full transcription of today's podcast is available on the MIT Horizon platform. Join us next week for our next episode.